When I moved back to Amherst, Nova Scotia after 15 years away, something had changed. Like many other towns, our local businesses and business people have been overwhelmed by large corporations and monopolies. This hurt the spirit of our communities. We lost our autonomy, our self-reliance, and our hope. So join me as I learn more about where we are now, how we got here, and what we can do to take back our communities. I'm Andrew Cameron, and Monopolies Killed My Hometown. Welcome back to episode 18 of Monopolies Killed My Hometown. Today we're going to talk about the Rogers and Shaw merger, and I'm going to use it to show how very technocratic our whole competition policy system is, and talk more about what that means, and some of the things that I would like to see done differently as we go through a competition policy review. But first, there's a couple of housekeeping items I just want to look after off the top. After this episode, I'm going to take a longer planned pause from the show. I'll be back in the spring with some new episodes. I want to take some time and come up with new ideas of episodes, new shows, think of new things I may do with the podcast. I may also ship back and send out a few more newsletters in the meantime. You can find me online, mkht.ca. I'm also a lot more active on all the socials. So follow and like us everywhere except for TikTok. Uh, not there. I'm still working on my Wednesday dance before hitting there. Second, the Canadian Anti-Monopoly Project, CAMP, has an event on February 2nd at 12 noon Eastern, talking about the Roger Shaw merger more in depth, as well as talking about the consultation. You can find more information on this event at antimonopoly.ca slash events. Uh, hopefully I get this episode posted early on February 2nd, and you can still register and sign up for the event. If not, uh, you can find a replay of the event as well. Camp is also more active on social media, so follow us on all of the channels to make sure you don't miss that replay. So if you haven't quite been following it, Keldon, through the Camp newsletter, Letters from Camp, has done an excellent job laying out kind of what's been happening at the Roger Shaw merger. But the quick summary is the tribunal ruled in favor of Roger Shaw, the Competition Bureau appealed to the Federal Court of Appeals, which dismissed the appeal. And now we're on the last step, which is I said Minister Champagne has to approve the transfer of the Spectrum license from Shaw to Videotron. Once that happens, then Shaw can sell Freedom Mobile to Videotron and Rogers can buy Shaw. To me, this is just formality at this point. It's a matter of when, not if. You know, Roger Shaw has been pushing for a closing date of January 31st, 2023, but Minister Champagne said the 31st is Roger's deadline, not his, and the federal government should not be held to private interests deadlines. It's also kind of funny, and I know why they're doing it, like to put pressure on to make sure it happens and happens and happens, because Rogers has been using the threat of a deadline to speed up the whole process. But if all the parties in this transaction agree, then the date just gets extended right? This is not a big deal at all. Deals like this could extend it all the time. And even think about like real estate deals. Think about somebody, you know, buying a house or selling a house where like the closing date has to get moved out. We do this all the time. So sorry, Rogers, if it takes us another month, it takes another month. But thinking back on this, someone asked me if I was surprised that this, if this Rogers Shaw merger was approved and I answered not at all. The competition policy system, which is very technocratic, in the system that we've built over the last 40 years worked exactly as it was supposed to. And for me, I wasn't shocked. 
The only thing that I was shocked about is that this wasn't passed based on the efficiencies defense, which I've talked about in previous episodes. The thing is, though, like I disagree with the underlying assumptions of our competition policy framework, and that's where I have an issue, but I will acknowledge that the competition policy machine worked exactly as we have designed it to work, which is in favor of the largest companies looking to merge and leaving individual and smaller businesses behind. The biggest thing that surprised me in this whole process, and a much more important surprise in this whole process, was Competition Commissioner Matthew Boswell and the Competition Bureau fighting this merger to the end. One, Commissioner Boswell and the leadership he provided to the Competition Bureau was the largest difference right off the bat. He spoke out against this merger almost from day one, and he sought to block it outright. Like, our Competition Bureau does not seek to block mergers. Historically, it always looked for remedies and ways to make the merger work so that it doesn't, maybe you can hear my air quotes, substantially harm competition. Substantially is the key. So in the past, the Competition Bureau has always worked with merging parties to figure out ways to not substantially harm competition. This time, Commissioner Boswell and the Bureau just said no. No to this deal at all. And so to run through this again at a very high level, right, Commissioner Boswell and the Bureau sought to just block the merger outright. And Rogers appealed or took the decision to the Competition Tribunal, who ruled quickly in favor for Rogers. And again... In the past, if it ever went this way, that would be it. But the Competition Bureau took the added extra step of then appealing the decision to the Federal Court of Appeals. The Federal Court of Appeals just dismissed the appeal outright. Didn't even hear from Roger Shaw, just heard the Bureau's case and just said no. And that's kind of what led us to here. And so for me, in in a really weird way, Commissioner Boswell and the Competition Bureau putting pressure on the whole system exposed it all to increased scrutiny. And all of these steps along the way really, for me, show how this system has been designed to benefit the largest companies again at the expense of the smaller companies. Like one example, Rogers and Shaw spent $36 million in legal fees and consultant fees and all that sort of stuff for the hearing in front of the tribunal. And the Bureau spent $11 million. Right off the bat, Rogers Shaw spent the Bureau by three times. And Rogers Shaw has requested a cost award of $20 million. So not only did we lose the hearing and spend $11 million, but now the federal government may have to cover $20 million of Roger Shaw's legal costs. And so I mention this because in the judicial system, the cost award is designed to prevent frivolous lawsuits, right? So that if you sue somebody or file, make a legal claim and you lose, that there's another financial penalty to you. So to have it in this system is a way to encourage the Bureau to only try to take cases to the tribunal that they're certain to win, not ones that they want to go and argue to. That's an example of how I mean that the system has been designed to benefit companies, because at the end of the process, having to cover the costs of the merging companies is a deterrent for the Bureau. It really has limited resources. But I want to get more into this. At camp and with myself, we talk a lot about making competition policy less, quote, technocratic and more democratic. And I think I've touched on this stuff before, but I'm going to spend some more time on these definitions again, right? Because to me, a technocratic system is one that is based on the belief that experts know best for all and that it is possible to figure out everything about the world through models, numbers, or calculations to create the perfect system. And if you can't figure it out with a model, a calculation, a number, or a system, it doesn't matter. Therefore, we don't have to worry about that. It's also based on 
that we can then develop the perfect system or define the perfect incentive structure, we can then fix everything, right? So tax credits are something that, to me, that comes out of this police system. If we can just give people enough of a tax credit for being active, then we can increase health outcomes significantly. And this is a way to do it instead of just funding healthcare more, we can do it through tax credits. Cap and trade systems fall under this, right? Instead of us governing control for pollution, increasing emission standards, fuel economy, all those sorts of things, we could instead create a cap and trade system, which will then create a perfect value of carbon pollution or any sort of pollution. And therefore it will force large polluters to then reduce their pollution. Therefore, if the largest producers, you know, haven't reduced their pollution, we haven't assigned the correct value to carbon offsets because we haven't created the perfect incentive for them to doing it. It's a belief in turning the dials to get the results you want. It's the Freakonomics books. It's believing everything in the world can be quantified and adjusted to get the end results you want. But that's not how the world works. I mean, anyone with children can tell you that that's not how the world works. Sometimes kids just don't want to wear snow pants. And no matter how cold it is outside, and no matter how, you can tell them it's minus 20 and the wind chill's minus 40. If they don't want to wear snow pants that day, they're not wearing snow pants. We can deny that adults aren't like that, but adults are like that too. And that's how the world works, that there's more to the whole world than just numbers. It can't be reduced to a simple equation or a simple incentive. But now thinking about it, like for me, I can see how approaching the world with this belief system can provide comfort, right? It lets you believe that someone can control the chaos that is life, right? It lets you simplify the world and remove the emotions and power dynamics and anything, like I said, in life that can't be quantified. It can also remove responsibility from leaders, politicians, business leaders, and governments. And you can just say, well, we created the perfect system. Here are our models. The people just didn't respond correctly. There's something wrong with them, not with us or our models. The flip side of that, to me, like a democratic system is one that is designed for everyone and it's not ruled by the experts. That you don't have to be an expert in something to participate in this system. It's a system to me that's easy to understand and transparent and you can explain to people. It's got clear rules and guidelines that don't, like I said, don't require PhD in economics or days of readings of form to understand what's going on. And there are systems that are rooted in an actual understanding of how the world works. It's a system that allows for power imbalances, the irrationality of people, and a whole lot of other variety of motivations that just can't be quantified. And for me, looking back on it, the CERB benefit that the federal government issued at the start of COVID is a perfect example of a democratic system. Well, initially it was a democratic system, democratic program, right? If you lost your job, you applied and you were able to get $2,000 a month. There were simple criteria to determine if you receive it or not. And from what I remember, uh, it was pretty straightforward to figure out. Now we're kind of getting into things like looking back to see if people actually should have applied for it. And anyways, that's becoming more of a technocratic thing, right? So like with the CERB, there was no means testing. There was none of that sort of stuff. Because to me, when I think about it, like a technocratic version of that would have been, well, you receive a certain percentage of your income if you lost these many hours over a certain period of time, as long as you worked for the last 10 weeks. And it was designed this way because someone thought that if you give people too much money in this situation, they just won't want to work again. And so in that technocratic system, there would have been many more forms to fill out, many more, like a longer waiting period and all this sort of stuff. Which in a funny way, actually, as I describe it, it describes the EI system. 
right? That's a very technocratic system. So why am I talking about like a technocratic versus democratic system and what I want and all this? Because our Competition Act and competition policy is extremely technocratic. It's ruled by experts. It's really hard to understand. There are no clear guidelines and it preferences the largest companies over everybody else. But the Canadian federal government is doing a consultation on the Competition Act and competition policy. And anyone can make submissions about what they would like to see your competition policy like moving forward. So the link to all this is in the show notes. Again, like I said before, follow Camp on all the social media, sign up for the newsletter, because we'll have more information on the submission process, as well as some of the things that Camp is calling for in our submission that maybe speak to you and that you are able to understand and articulate in a way that's beneficial or articulated in a way that speaks for yourself. So follow us there because we'll be sharing a whole lot more information. The deadline for this submission process is the end of February, so it is coming up pretty quickly. And for me, I want, like when I compare them, I don't like this technocratic system that we have now, and I want one that's more democratic and speaks for all of us. And so I want to walk through sort of the different points of the Roger Shaw merger case and sort of explain how I see our current system being very technocratic and what I could see being a, like a democratic process would be going forward. So Rogers wants to buy Shaw. In May 2022, the Bureau filed to block this merger outright because they believe the merger will harm millions of consumers in Alberta and BC. This is great. This is unconventional. Our Competition Bureau does not seek to block mergers outright. The system is designed to have economists and lawyers argue for remedies, divestitures, spinoffs, all these sorts of things, so that this merger will only, quote unquote, harm competition a little bit, not substantially. Historically, the way it's gone is the Bureau is supposed to hint they will look at blocking a merger and then suggest what the merging company could do to satisfy the Bureau. And so remember that point because it's going to come back further on in this process. But also keep in mind that since the 2009 changes, we can only look back on mergers or only review mergers for one year after the fact. So we have no idea if any of the predictions and models that the technocratic economists and lawyers and everybody brought to the Competition Bureau actually worked. We have no idea. It's like, you know, a weather forecast going, hey, next week I think it's going to rain. And then two weeks later go, did anybody check the weather last week? No, no idea. No idea if it was correct or not. So, oh, but the meteorologists are going to say it's going to snow next week. Like, we don't do that in any other area except for this. So for me, a more democratic approach to competition policy would, one, this is a term that's used in the space a lot, is that bright line rules. Right? So it would be, if you have 25% of the market share, you cannot merge with anybody else. Nope, you have too much. And we could choose where we want to set that, but having that just straight rule makes everything so much clearer for everybody. It could be if you are a certain size, or if the company after merges will have a large enough market share, something over 40%, or whatever we choose, it just, it's a no. Nope, can't do it. But then... If the companies still want to merge, then they have to come to the Competition Bureau and show that the merger will not harm Canadians. And then we can put in a longer period of time. We say, okay, sure. All right, if we're going to let you do this, we're going to check back in next year. We're going to check back in in three years. We're going to check back in 10 years to see if what you're saying today is, actually comes true. And if it doesn't, guess what? You're back out. You're two separate companies again. That's a democratic system. That is easy to understand. And we get it. It also require a whole lot less legal fees and economist fees and consultant fees up above.
So after the Bureau filed to block it, then there was the hearing that went in front of the competition tribunal. And so to me, like the competition tribunal is the epitome of a technocratic system. And I talked about the tribunal in a previous episode. I'll put a link in the show notes. And I want to go back to this Roger Shaw merger case because this case was decided by a panel of three experts. In this case, they were a former dean of a business school, a judge, and a corporate strategist slash economist. And the thing is, like, I think they did an excellent job interpreting the hearings, the evidence, and ruling as the system instructs them to do. I have the issue with what the system is requiring them to do. And so in reading the analysis of the tribunal's decision, this was something that was shocking is basically they didn't even go near using the efficiencies defense to pass it. Instead, they ruled that the Bureau argued against the original version of the deal, not the updated deal that included the divestiture of Freedom Mobile to Videotron. So my reading of this is the tribunal reminding the Bureau that they are supposed to help merging parties come up with solutions that will only slightly harm competition, not substantially harm competition. Because the tribunal more or less rejected the Bureau's arguments because they didn't argue about the correct deal. The Bureau argued the first deal. The tribunal said, no, you should have been arguing the second deal. And therefore, you didn't make your case against the second deal. So we'll allow the merger to proceed. And it's got a weird logic, weird feeling to it. Because it feels like like a professor assigns a topic for a paper. You work for months on it. And then get a poor mark because the professor changed how they were going to grade the paper without really specifically telling anybody. But in this technocratic system, that makes sense within the current system that it would happen this way. But I think so many people outside of the system, you stop and you go, wait, what? What happened? Why did this go down? And so for me, that's the difference between technocratic and a democratic system. Like in the democratic system, we should be able to explain very clearly, very quickly why this was allowed or not allowed. Because the other thing that happened is the tribunal issued their ruling within weeks of the end of this hearing. So the last two days of the hearing were in the week of December 11th, and the ruling was released before the end of December. And so there were thousands of pages of transcripts. There was hours of hearings. There was so much content that they were able to issue their judgment in ruling within, what, three weeks over Christmas holidays. So I look at this and I go, you can't make a decision that quickly and that important unless you knew the decision you were going to make going into the whole process to begin with. Right? It's just, it's too much in such a short period of time. There was also hints from Roger saying that if they were going to have another major bond payment or interest payment on their bonds that they would have to pay if the merger couldn't close before a certain date. I don't know if that factored into it or not, but that seems, it's kind of one of those ones where you go, oh, that doesn't smell right. So this whole thing, like again, says this, hints that this system was designed for the merger to proceed. So for me, if we wanted this to be more democratic, again, if we had the bright line rules from up above, that would help. It would require a whole lot less technical arguments, and it would also switch the burden of proof from the Bureau to the merging party. Like the merging party would have to show why the merger wouldn't affect people. That's one big thing. I think more about it, and I think like the competition tribunal is is a quasi-judicial body, and it appears to me that it's stuck in the middle. The fact that it's trying to be a judicial body, but not quite a judicial body, inherently makes it technocratic, right? Because a regular, quote-unquote, regular person doesn't have the expertise and understanding of the nuances of law to be involved at this level. 
But a regular person can have the real world understanding that letting two of the four largest telecoms merge, but only if they sell off a small portion of one of their businesses is going to be bad for Canadians. Oh, and don't forget, part of this is letting the merging companies decide who they sell the business to. They don't have to take the highest bid. And in this case, that's what Rogers has done. So Global Live founded Wind Mobile originally, sold Wind Mobile to Shaw, which was renamed as Freedom, offered more money to buy back Freedom Mobile than Videotron did, but Rogers chose Videotron. We are also in this process letting Rogers choose who their new competitor is. Now, do you know what it's like if you're in a hockey tournament, baseball tournament or stuff like that, and say you're the top team and you get to choose who you want to play against in the first round, you don't choose the second place team, you choose like the worst team that qualified. Allowing Rogers to choose makes sense within the Competition Act and the Competition Policy System we've created, but you step outside of that, you go, well, not, no, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? And so back to this, like with the tribunal, I'd love for the tribunal to pick a side. If you want to be a judicial body, be a judicial body. If not, then don't. But for me, the thing is, we already have a judicial body that could handle all of this, the federal courts, which is the next step in this whole process. After the tribunal ruled in favor of Rogers and Shaw, the Competition Bureau appealed to the federal courts about the ruling. I mean, I'm glad that Commissioner Boswell appealed to the federal courts just to keep the fight going. It was a Hail Mary. It was never going to work. I mean, I would have been shocked if it actually accomplished anything. And, you know, the federal appeals court dismissed the appeal after hearing the Bureau's arguments. They didn't hear anything from Rogers Shaw. And for me, I'm not even really worried about why they dismissed it, because the burden of proof was on the Bureau to win the appeal instead of Roger Shaw. And so again, it's an example of how the system is set up for the merging parties, for mergers to run through. So point of this episode for me is to remind people, there is a consultation about the Competition Act happening now. It goes to the 27th. And this is our chance to stand up, because this isn't just about Rogers and Shaw. I don't want that merger to go through, but I wanted to work through this system like this because we need a new approach to this stuff. We need that process that is democratic and focused on us and individuals. And if we put a few other speed bumps in the ways of large companies looking to merge, okay, we do that. Let's make sure we're making good decisions and the right decisions. So pay attention, follow me on social media. I'll overlap some of the camp content, but also follow camp on social media to be aware of the submissions and how you can make submissions. And I hope I give you some ideas of things that you could submit because truly the submission process should be democratic. I'm not a lawyer. I can't craft laws. I'm not, you know, a politician. I'm not somebody who works in the parliament offices. Like I can go to somebody else, but I can speak about what I want the system to do and to accomplish. And I want it to be more open and understanding for everybody. And I think if you're listening out there, it should be the same. Don't feel like you need to have specific proposals of adjusting certain lines on section 48 of the Competition Act. Express what you want the Competition Act and competition policy to do, right? Let's get at the general purposes of this again, which to me is to benefit all Canadians, not just the handful at the top. So again, like I said, follow Camp on social media, follow me on social media, start thinking about a way you could make a submission for this consultation, right? We need to make our voices heard so that this doesn't become 
again, in continuation of an expert-dominated field. Take care, everyone. Good luck with your submissions. And I'll be back, like I said, sometime in the spring. Main Street is struggling. Monopolies killed my hometown.